Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. I am so excited about your your theme tonight, which is radiant, and I really believe that this word is for you, so could we just pray very quickly? I want to just get into the message tonight. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for every woman that's represented in this place tonight. Lord, I thank you that this day was designed, it was special. Before the foundation of the world, you knew every person who would be in this room tonight. God, we open up our heart. It doesn't matter what we walked in here with, whether we are on the mountaintop and we're walking through a victory, or whether we are in the darkest place in our life, God, you know exactly where we are. And I thank you that your word is going to break through to every woman, and we are all going to leave here touched and changed in Jesus' name. And so, ladies, I want to encourage you. We just had our our women's conference, and one of the biggest things that I pushed for our ladies, and I want to give a push for you, if you are not in a small group, if you're not in in a life group, I know sometimes that's uncomfortable for people, but you know what? Sometimes it takes us being in uncomfortable situations and being intentional, because you know what? If we shift the focus on not wanting to be there, and we realize that sometimes God is setting you up to put you in a position, let's say you meet in a coffee shop, and really, it's not about you, but when you get to the coffee shop, you're going to be sitting next to Susan, and you just start talking to Susan. You've never met Susan before, but there's something that Susan says to you, and you have the same story that Susan has. One of our conferences about 10 years ago, I had been sharing a story and just sharing with them about coming to the altar and ministering to one another. And there was a gal in in our church that had had thyroid cancer and she has a scar on her neck. And she came running to me during lunch at the conference and she said, Pastor Lisa, you are not gonna believe this. And she had this other lady next to her and her name was Pam and she said, We just passed each other in the bathroom and looked at each other and said, you have my scar. (laughs) Pam, years before that, had had thyroid cancer too. In an instant, they'd never met each other, but you got to understand that sometimes you meet people and you've got the same battle scars, and maybe you've got a word for them, and life group's not even about you. But it's about God using you in that situation. And that was free. That is not even in my notes. So what we're going to talk about is redeeming our identity. Because that's the one thing that the enemy really fights is if we ever find out who we really are and whose we are, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. We who walk with God must live in a full consciousness that the eye of our maker is always on us. That we cannot take a single unobserved step nor do the least thing that escapes his notice. When we consider that walking with God is an ever active consciousness of his presence, there are hardly words to describe the holiness and the desire to walk in his ways. If we have the conviction that God is always on our side, then we will be the same in public as we are in private. 
Walking with God denotes a complete fixing of our affections, always. Anything else that has your affection besides him and his presence and his ways, ladies, is an idol in your life. You still love me. Walking with God denotes completely fixing our affections on him and things that are above. We all originated in the heart of God. Conception is the beginning of life, but destiny and our eternal purpose, our eternal reality began in his heart and we were in his thoughts before Genesis 1-1. He knew us, but he waited for the appointed time. Your appointed time. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you were a mistake or you were born at the wrong time. Because Jeremiah 1.5 said, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knew you before. But here's what happens. The accuser, the enemy of our soul, doesn't want us to know who we are. He tries so hard to redefine our true identity. He's crafty, He's very intentional. He's purposeful in doing everything he can do to try and defeat you, smother you, but most importantly, to silence you, and he'll use every tactic he can to steal your identity. And what you represent is getting to do what he will never do again. You realize that he was in the presence of God. He moved, the scripture said, and worship came out of him. So he will never be able to worship again. That's why he hates you. Because when you know who you are and you open up your mouth, when you're going through a trial, what's the first thing the enemy steals? I don't want to worship. I don't even want to turn worship music on. You know, you just kind of have your own pity. Does anybody else do that besides me? I'm like, I am not, because I'm going to turn it on, and it's going to be a song that hits right to my spirit. You don't want to worship. You don't want to be grateful. You don't want to be thankful. We spend our lives then hiding from what God truly meant when he made us, and we lose our original design. His designs are perfect, how great and how huge and how big our God is. Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26 says this. It's gonna be on the screen. To whom then would you compare me, says the Holy One. Can you find anyone or anything to compare to me? Where is his equal? Lift up your eyes to the sky and see for yourself. Look up into the night sky and see who has created the stars. Who do you think created the entire cosmos? He leads them worlds upon worlds. He lit every shining star and formed every glowing galaxy. And he positioned them all right where they belong. And you know what's even more incredible? It's because the Hubble telescope keeps discovering more galaxies. Do you know why? Because he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he never told it to stop. That's the power in his creation. That's why I want you to see the big God that we serve tonight, that you're not a mistake you are incredible. And when, what he placed inside of you is just waiting to be tapped into. 
He has numbered these stars. He's counted them. He gave every star a name. And because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one star in all of those galaxies is ever missing from his sight. This same God who did this and holds the galaxies in his hands created you. He created your innermost being. He formed you every bone. He knit you together carefully, skillfully shaping you from nothing to something right there in your mother's womb, in the secret place. Whether you have red hair, blonde hair, black hair, straight hair, curly hair, just take it up with God if you don't like any of that. He thought it was awesome. Anybody losing their eyebrows? That's what I'm taking up with him right now. I'm like, what's happening at 55? It says, my frame was not hidden from you when you made me in the secret place. When I was woven there, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me. Listen, don't miss this. All the days ordained for me were written and recorded in carefully and purposefully thought out in your book before one of them ever came to be. Before you breathed your first breath, Psalm 139 said, he wrote a book about you. He wrote your story. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. How huge the amount of them. Every single moment you're thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. Your desires, hopes, and dreams for me, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. I'm not writing this. David wrote this. When I wake up every morning, you are right there. Psalm 107 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let me ask you a question tonight. Has he redeemed you? 10 of you. We're gonna ask that question one more time. I need you to help me out. Has he redeemed you? Yes. Well, you know what Psalm 107 says? Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out and tell your story. Tell others that he has redeemed you. He wants us to tell our story because our identity isn't wrapped up in what we used to be. Our identity is not what we're walking through right now. Anybody walking through some things? I'm lifting my hand. Anybody walking through some things and you need him? That's not our identity. Notice key word there is walking through it. You're not camping out there. It's who we're becoming. If he has redeemed you, then he is at work making the image of his son Jesus strong in your lives. I love this word tonight, radiant. We can't be radiant and show a world that needs Jesus and be radiant. We can't be radiant if we're not allowing him to shift and move all those things in our lives that are keeping his light and keeping his glory out. There's a quote by a rabbi, Rabbi Joshua ben Levi, and it says this, when a person, and he's not a Messianic Jew, he's a Jew, when a person walks along their road, a troop of angels marches before them and announces in the spirit realm, make way for the image of the Holy One. 
make way for the image of the Holy One. Can you imagine living a life so full of him that when you walk, the spirit realm announces, which there is a spirit realm if you don't believe that, there, you are so full of Jesus and the Spirit of God, that is when they announce he is in her. She will not fail. That's not just a cute Pinterest plaque or a cute slogan on a shirt. He is within you and you will not fail and that's the word. I love that. The enemy has fought this from the very beginning. So how do we do this? We're gonna take this journey really fast. Number one, we must know that our redemption cost him everything. Our redemption cost him everything. Hebrews 12, one through three says this. This is the message translation. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans that are cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it strip down, get rid of any extra weight, anything that's in the way, and start running and never quit. Lay aside every encumbering sin which so easily entangles you. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. Get rid of any baggage that's slowing you down. Any baggage. And let me just stop right here. You know, we have people that are in our boat Everybody in here, you've got a sphere of influence. The Greek word is oikos. You've got an oikos of influence. You've got people that are around you. Sometimes we need to take, we just need to kind of take a checklist of who's in our boat. Because sometimes there are people in our boat that don't need to be in our boat anymore. And that's not a bad thing to say. You can love people and you can be friends with people, but if you don't have people in your life that are lifting you up, that are speaking truth into you, that are speaking life into you, and they're dragging you down, you can love them from afar, but get them out of your boat. All right, that was not even, that's not in Hebrews 12. Just got to finish here, right. Okay, here it is. Keep your eyes. Get rid of that baggage. That's where that was. Get rid of the baggage. Fix and keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish line with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The excruciating process of crucifixion. He dealt with Shame and fear and anger, rejection, brokenness, misunderstanding, betrayal, death, and depression. He could put up with anything. And now he's there in the place of honor, seated right alongside God. But when you find yourselves weighted down and flagging in your faith, go over his story over and over again, item by item, how he did it, that long list of hostility that he had to plow through. He did it knowing full well that the end for him, the finish line for him was the cross. He endured the suffering, not because his eyes were fixed on looking to heaven and he was going to get a new throne and sit next to his heavenly father. No, he finished strong. Why? 
Because at the end of the finish line, the prize was you. You. He did it so that you could walk in fullness. Healing place girls, he saw you and it was never ever your responsibility to redeem you. It's not your responsibility. Take the pressure off because Isaiah 43, one says, I have redeemed you and I call you by name, says the Lord, because you are mine. That's what he said. Second thing is we have to let no one and no thing steal our crowns. There are six crowns spoken of in scripture. It's the crown of glory in Isaiah 62.3, the crown of life, James 1.12, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8, the incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9.24, the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the crown of beauty, six crowns that we have the ability to lay at his feet. Revelation 3.11 talks about these crowns. This is why they're important. It says, behold, I am coming and I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on your righteousness and your victory and your freedom. Let no one and no thing distract you. Hold fast that no one takes or steals your crowns. You know why it's so important that when we worship him, all we have in our hands to give him is what's in our hands, how we've lived our life, but the scripture says we will be able to take off our crowns and lay them at his feet if we have done what we were supposed to do. A crown is a decorative object made into a circle and it's worn on the head of a king or a queen, a prince or princess. It is the reward and it's a gift of victory and a mark of honor. It denotes royalty and authority. It's the sign of sovereignty placed on the head of one who has been victorious. There are two things that we'll give him, our lives as we are living them right now, and we'll be able to take these crowns off and we'll lay them at his feet. Have you ever thought about what you're gonna do the moment you cross over the gates of heaven? Just think about it for a second. What, what are you gonna do the minute you walk into the gates of heaven? What are you gonna do when you see him for the very first time? It's hard to think about it. That's what worship is. It's as simple as that. I know for me, whatever I have in my hand, whatever I've done, and guess what? I'm not gonna stand in front of him and tell him everything that I've done in the church that I've pastored and all these different things. I'm not gonna say, well, you know what? On September the 18th, 2019, I spoke to the Healing Place girls. No, he's looking for one thing, and that it's that he says, sees his name on my heart. And he says, that one belongs to me. And when you hear that, well done, then you'll be able to take your crowns off and worship him and thank him. My pursuit to attain these crowns is not for my own gain. It's so that I have something to give him. How many of you have watched the Netflix series, The Crown? Awesome. Anybody going to see Downton Abbey movie on Friday? Anybody love anything British? 
all, yes, right, I should have just asked that, that question. Okay, well, the first season, um, I was sitting and watching the first season of The Crown, and I'll just, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a documentary series on the life of Queen Elizabeth. And when her father was still living, she and Prince Philip had gone to South Africa, and it that's when her dad passed away. And, of course, there were no cell phones. There was no internet. There were no computers. It took them two days because she was in Africa. So it took them two days to get the message to her. They flew back immediately. And before she could exit the plane, she was waiting on two things. They gave her a black dress to put on and changed her shoes And she was waiting. Remember, I just described to you why monarchs wear crowns. She was waiting on the crown that she would wear in public for the first time as Queen Elizabeth. And so she waited. In that time of waiting, they handed her a note from her grandmother. And I want to read that that note to you. This is what the note said. I have seen three monarchies brought down from their failure to separate their personal indulgences from their divine duty. While you mourn your father today, you must also mourn someone else, Elizabeth Mountbatten, for she has now been replaced by another person, Elizabeth Regina. Listen to this. The two Elizabeths will frequently be in conflict with one another, The fact is, dear Elizabeth, the crown must always win. The crown must always win. There's a war going on, ladies, between our flesh, between who the enemy wants to declare we are. And can I just tell you something about scars? Do you know what a scar is? A scar is a healed wound. A scar is a reminder to you that there's healing there. It doesn't mean that you deny what has happened. You don't deny. I was telling my daughter, she saw this place on my knee the other day, and she's like, Mom, what is that? I've never noticed that. And it took me back. I mean, it literally took me back. Ten years old, I was riding a bicycle that was too big for me on gravel road. Are you feeling the pain? It, like, when I tell you, I think I took a chunk out of my knee the size of a quarter, I'm 55 years old, and I felt it in that moment, like my skin was crawling. But it's not bleeding, it's not a scab, it's a healed scar, but it's there, and I'll never forget it. That's what a scar is. But what the enemy wants to keep, where he wants to keep you, is to keep you chained into who you used to be, into what you've already walked through, and let that be your definition. That's not who you are. He told you who you are, spoke to you, looked at you face to face in your mother's womb. He knew you in that moment. Your pursuit in your life is to get back to that relationship because your identity can only be established when you spend time with him. But who your flesh is and who you're supposed to be will constantly be at war with one another and the crown must always win. Point number three, awakening, redemption, and identity requires an exchange. Now, I'm going to age myself right now, and I'm probably going to break this room in half age-wise about what I'm about to tell you. 
Um, but when I was a little girl, I used to go to the grocery store with my mom. I loved going to the grocery store. And because um, we would always get when the little animal, I think, I think they still make them, but the little animal cracker cookies that had the little rope handle. Anybody remember that? I think they kind of still do, but it just was a thing, you know, just get the animal crackers. And she would, big thing was she would let me eat them and we hadn't paid for them yet. I thought that was so cool, but she would always get them out, you know, after I finished and paid for it. So we would get to the register, and these registers were really wide. It was kind of like a half circle, so you'd wheel your cart up on the other side of it and put all your groceries this way. I was about five or six, but that was not the most exciting part for me. Next to the cash register was this other little machine that was a little bit smaller than the cash register, and I would go, and my little head was just barely big enough to to see this little silver thing because as soon as she totaled out my mom's groceries and my mom paid for the groceries, not just a receipt came out, but out of this small little thing connected to the cash register, SNH green stamps would come flying out. Yes! <laughs> Doesn't that just give you warm fuzzies? Okay, now listen, does anybody in this room have no idea what that is? Can I just see your, oh my word. How many of you know exactly what that is? Okay, listen girls, listen, you, you have no idea what you're missing. Because if you can even comprehend what I'm about to say, this is no cell phones, let me tell you something. There wasn't even a cordless phone in 1971. Had the long, windy thing, you know, rotary. We would go in and we would get these little books. And then my sister, Teresa, was still home at, at that time. We would go home. And if you got that big stamp right there in the middle, listen, you just lick that puppy. Now, it was hor horrible. You better have some sweet tea next to you. You'd lick that one stamp, and that one stamp would take care of one whole page. And then you'd, yeah, you, you feel me? But if you didn't have big ones, you had to take all those little bitty ones, and it took all those little bitty ones to fill up a book. But let me tell you something, once you filled up that book, that book was, was worth money. And then you'd save your books, and then you'd go to the S&H Green Stamp Store. Right? I cannot even tell you. You walk in there and, I mean, my mother gave the best wedding gifts. Crystal platters, pitchers, vases, croquet sets. Do people still play croquet? Yeah, you could get anything in their dishes, silverware. It was kind of like going into Bed Bath & Beyond and not having to pay for anything. But here's all you had to do. You go pick out what you wanted you walk up to the counter and you make an exchange with a book of stamps because you've already paid for it. You have to understand that there has to be an exchange because of the price that's been paid. You see, we too must step up to the plate and realize there are things in our lives that we have to exchange. We have to, our pain, our failure, our disappointment, our dysfunction, our bitterness, rejection, Resentment, our peace, security, trust, blessing, redemption, all that 
If Isaiah 61 says he wants to give us beauty for ashes, isn't that what it says? You know, we quote that scripture, but we don't realize that in order for him to give us beauty, we have to let go of the ashes. But sometimes what we've done is we've allowed the ashes to become our identity, and we don't know how to let go of the ashes in order for him to make it beautiful. We've gotten so used to holding on to the pain, and hold, we're more familiar with the rejection and the bitterness and the betrayal and, it, and God not coming through yet. We're more familiar with that then we are who he is and his promises and he wants to give us trust and peace and he has a plan for your life and his timing is not our timing sometimes. The Hebrew word here is effer and it literally means worthlessness, brokenness, and loss. He wants to exchange, give us beauty for our worthlessness. Every trial, every storm, every broken heart, tragedy, The enemy takes these opportunities to not only knock the wind out of you, but he will attempt to define you with your worth by what you're walking through. When our youngest son, who's 26, he was leaving to go to ministry school and it was the, he had gone away for two years, but he came back, and that's when he emptied everything out of his room. I don't know if you've sent kids to college, but you know that they come back, and they come back, and their beds are there, but then when they leave, it's like you have that feeling that we're emptying out his room, and it's never going to be the same. You just you kind of realize that. So I was bringing the second load, and I went up just to make sure that everything was good, and it was in his room, and we had, I hadn't forgotten anything, and I noticed he had left his closet light on. And I opened his, his closet door, and there sat Woody and Pooh. And he had, he, had put, he had put them up. He had put them up intentionally and left the light on. But you got to know this kid, because he knew that his mom would go up, and he knew that. And I'm standing there. I'm weeping that he's gone. If you see on his little foot, he had written with black marker, Alex, not Andy, but Alex, that's his name. And I heard the Lord say this. If you'll remember, and you'll go back, because I look at that, and when Alex was six years old, he was run over by a car and broke his leg, and so he always kept that right leg bandaged, always. He has a little Band-Aid right there. And he said, if you'll go back and remember when I called you by name, I've got him. I've got him because I'm written all over him. You've got to deal with the root. In order to do that, we've got to go back to the garden. I'm going to go very quickly, so listen. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. The garden was an epic reality being displayed before an audience of heaven. And for the first time, the beauty of the relationship between the created and the creator was now in plain sight. You see, the Godhead, the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, the Holy One, the Lord Most High, the Spirit of God took shape and form, and for what once was a spirit that filled and encompassed the spans of all things, the one who has no beginning and has no end was walking in the Garden of Eden. It was in the womb of Eden, In him is perfection. 
There's holiness and purity and nurturing acceptance. He leads. He walked with Adam and Eve, talked with Adam and Eve, had fellowship with Adam and Eve, and was intentional in his love and admiration of what he had created. He gave them only one command, not to eat of a certain tree. You know this story. Satan came, came as a serpent, and questioned what the creator had spoken to them. See, this journey that we're walking on, it will produce forgiveness, it'll produce release, it's gonna produce letting go and receiving all that he has for us, but there's something very, very important that we have to step into. Our obedience in what he's told us to do is tied to our destiny. You can't forget that. So when they disobeyed and he immediately and they immediately ran and hid themselves feeling the need for the first time to cover the perfection and the purity of their nakedness though they were made in the image of God they now felt shame they felt imperfect they felt rejection and filthiness of their unrighteousness He, God, this divine being that held the universe in his hand, the scripture says he ran through the garden searching for them. He felt the loss and the disconnection. He called out to them. He called out, and the Hebrew word here is kara, and it means he cried out in anguish with a loud voice because what was chosen and called is now lost and doesn't know who they are. He cried out in anguish over the loss of relationship. He didn't cry out because he didn't know where they are. He was God. He knew exactly where they were. But he could feel the distance. He felt it knowing his son would one day feel the very same thing on the cross. You see, he had already written their story He had already made a way and his ultimate purpose in creating humanity was for the purpose of fellowship, relationship, and unconditional love that he wants to pour out on you. He cried out because for the first time, the created had believed the lie and had questioned, is he enough? I'm gonna pose that question to you tonight, ladies. Is he enough? Will we allow him to be enough to define our destiny? From the day you were born, all hell has fought your purposes. You're not a threat to the enemy, and he knows it until you know who you are and whose you are, and that you are rooted and grounded in the King of Kings and Christ Jesus. You see, the narrative of the garden would have ended up completely different if they had had this understanding. Do you realize that? They wouldn't have even given the serpent a moment of listening to his fine-sounding words. If they had kept their eyes and their attention and their worship and their desire on God, their creator, if they had been completely satisfied, rooted and grounded and connected in him, do you hear what I'm telling you tonight? Root, you've got to keep yourself rooted in him. They would have known and been confident that he was enough. The garden wasn't about what was in the garden It was about who was in the garden, the lover of your soul, 
the one who will fill every need, the one who to this day wants to commune with you day in and day out. Now, maybe you're asking, you're still asking yourself this question, what in the world is she talking about? I don't get it. Let me make something very clear. If all you hear tonight is this, I want you to be reminded that you looked at God face to face in your mother's womb. And he said, I knew you. That means he chose you. He chose to enter into a personal relationship with you. And while fashioning and shaping you, when I talk to our youngest about this, I've raised three older kids. They were 17, 14, and 11 when we adopted her. There's, I don't know how many of you have adopted in the room, but there's something different about championing the life of one who has been adopted. Not only did her birth mother attempt abortion three times, the third doctor would not do a late-term abortion at 29 weeks. Talk about a rescue. Talk about having to deal with abandonment issues. When the birth mother had her 11 weeks early, she left the hospital. So these are the same words that I look at her and I say, sweetheart, baby girl, it really does not matter how you were conceived. And I wish I had time to go and even tell you her story. But what I'm going to say to you is in your mother's womb, regardless of what she was doing, she was smoking crack. She was a prostitute. Regardless of what mom was doing, God was looking at you face to face and declaring your destiny and who you would be. He chose you to enter into a personal relationship with you. And he got so excited about what he saw in your mother's womb that David wrote about it. And he said, before you would ever breathe lungs, breathe air in your lungs for the first time, he had already finished your book. He was so excited about you. The question is, will you choose tonight to say, I'm chosen? Some of you might ask this question, and this is the altar call tonight. So where do I go to find the answer to this question? Maybe I need to be reminded. you know where you go? Tonight we've talked about two of the words that mean secret place. The Garden of Eden was the, was the womb of Eden. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was the secret place. The womb that we were created in was the secret place. But did you know that because of what Jesus did on the cross, when the veil of the temple was torn in two, no longer did a man have to stand in my place to talk to God. It gave you open access to not only be both priest and king, but to stand before him and enter into worship and go into the secret place. Just be careful not to do it in your car while you're driving, but you can go into that place in your closet. You can do it at work. You can do it when you're shopping. That is the place that you go when everything around you, when this life and all the chaos that's flowing around you is saying, God, I don't know who I am anymore. Let me tell you something about him. You spend just a few minutes with him telling him who he is and he'll turn right back around and tell you who you are. Thank you for listening. 
take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.